the day four of the EULA Virtual Congress 2021. My name is Dr. Elena Nikiforu. I'm a consultant rheumatologist at King's College Hospital and an adjunct senior lecturer at King's College London. It's the final day of a packed week of great content and I am delighted to bring you my highlights from today. There were a number of posters and late-breaking abstracts today featuring our themes of the week, real-world data, clinical results in RA and in other indications, and COVID. Let's get straight into the posters and my first pick of the real-world data from Curtis and colleagues. This poster analyzes data from the Corona Registry to identify meaningful improvement and worsening in patients who do not achieve low disease activity and switch to a new biologic or targeted therapy. The key findings from this study were as follows. Meaningful worsening of six or more and 12 or more CDI units occurred in 30 and 13% respectively. The remaining patients experienced meaningful improvement or no meaningful change. The proportion with meaningful worsening was low compared with most patients who had either meaningful improvement or no meaningful change. So the authors conclude that a large proportion of patients initiating biologicals or JAK inhibitors experienced some improvement, but failed to attain low disease activity or remission and did not switch therapy within approximately one year. My next selection comes from France. Gajou Viala and colleagues presented an interim analysis from the de facto study, which stands for identification of factors predictive of tofacitinib survival. This is an observational open-label study. Uh, the baseline patient characteristics and efficacy data at six months were presented. The results showed a decrease from baseline and inflammatory markers, namely CRP, pain, and DAS28 uh, activity scores, with 23% of patients in the DAS28 CRP remission and 36% of patients in the DAS28 CRP low disease activity group. So the preliminary results of this study indicate tofacitinib effectiveness and safety to be similar to those found in clinical studies. My final selection of real-world data comes from Mova Hedy and colleagues from Canada. They pulled data from two rheumatoid arthritis registers in Canada to investigate the discontinuation rate of tofacitinib as monotherapy compared with combination therapy with methotrexate in RA patients. And in this pooled real-world data study, the retention of tofacitinib was similar if it is used as monotherapy or in combination with methotrexate in patients with RA. We have featured a lot of clinical data in rheumatoid arthritis over the last three days, and today is no exception. There are several highlights from day four, including a poster presentation from Strand and colleagues who assessed rapid and concurrent improvements in patient-reported outcomes of RA with baricitinib. The results after the first 12 weeks of treatment in the RA-BIM trial were presented. And this study essentially showed statistically significantly larger improvements for baricitinib compared to adalimumab across all the PROs except the FACIT-F scale by week 12. My next selection is the three-year efficacy and safety results of upadicitinib in patients with rheumatoid arthritis from the SELECT early study. Van Vollenhoven and colleagues presented this data, which demonstrated that upadicitinib showed sustained clinically meaningful responses compared to methotrexate. In this study, 
Indeed, Upad Sidney monotherapy showed sustained clinically meaningful responses, including remission versus uh, methotrexate through week 156 with no new safety risks. Another pick from the SELECT clinical trial program, this time from Meisler and colleagues. This poster presentation reported on a post hoc analysis of data from SELECT COMPARE to evaluate the impact of upadacitinib or adalimumab as initial uh, therapy on the achievement of 48-week uh, treatment goals in patients with rheumatoid arthritis and inadequate response to methotrexate. In this study, um, stringent treat-to-target uh, protocols led to similar rates of remission or low disease activity, but initial use of upadacitinib led to more frequent deep responses and higher time average response rates compared to initial adalimumab therapy. My next selection from Comb and colleagues evaluates the impact of concomitant glucocorticoid use on the clinical efficacy and safety of upadacitinib in patients with RA. This was another post hoc analysis, this time of three phase three studies. They select NEXT, select monotherapy, and select early studies. The main concluding uh, remark in the study was that upadacitinib 15 milligrams, uh, whether with or without conventional synthetic DMATs, was effective in achieving remission and low disease activity, irrespective of concomitant glucocorticoid use. Safety appeared largely unaffected by concomitant glucocorticoid use. My final pick of the clinical results in RA is a poster presentation from Charles Scheumann and colleagues, and is also a pooled analysis from the SELECT program, this time focusing on SELECT NEXT and SELECT BEYOND. The group aimed to, to determine whether there was a relationship between changes in lipid levels and disease activity outcome measures in patients with RA treated with upadacitinib. The main take-home message from this study was that uh, there was evidence to suggest a relationship between systemic inflammation and lipid metabolism in RA and reinforcing the importance of monitoring for hyperlipidemia in these patients. Specifically, um, one of the key findings was that uh, statistically significant weak negative relationships were observed between maximal changes from baseline in lipid levels and CRP levels through to week 12 with upacitinib 15 milligrams or upacitinib 30 milligrams. We included several abstracts and posters yesterday presenting uh, clinical results in psoriatic arthritis and ankylosing spondylitis, and I'm pleased to bring you more today. There has been a wealth of clinical data presented this year and the quality has been fantastic. My first selection is the first of two featured poster presentations from Deodar and colleagues. The SELECT ACCESS-1 study includes adults with active ankylosing spondylitis who had inadequate response, intolerance, or contraindication to two or more non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, where biological DMATs are naive and met uh, modified New York criteria. This study evaluates the efficacy of upadacitinib on reducing pain in this patient group. And this uh, study demonstrated a greater proportion of upadacitinib uh, patients achieving rapid, significant, and clinically meaningful reductions in pain compared to placebo through 14 weeks across multiple pain assessments. 
The second featured poster presentation from Deodar and colleagues evaluated the achievement of partial remission and inactive disease after 14 weeks of treatment with upadacitinib in patients with ankylosing spondylitis. So of 44 patients who achieved ASA's partial remission, 91% achieved either ASTA's inactive disease or low disease activity. The majority of patients who achieved ASTA's partial remission also achieved ASTA's inactive disease in the continuous upadacitinib group and placebo or upadacitinib groups. Improvement was seen across the core components among those achieving partial remission with upadacitinib. The study concludes that the achievement of ASTA's partial remission was most closely associated with the achievement of ASTA's inactive disease, providing further clarity on reduction of disease activity with uh, upadacitinib use. Turning our attention now to the results presented today in psoriatic arthritis, my first pick comes from Professor Peter Nash and colleagues and assesses the efficacy and safety of upadacitinib both as monotherapy and in combination with non-biological DMATs for the treatment of psoriatic arthritis. In this study, upadacitinib monotherapy and combination therapy led to improvements in efficacy versus placebo and across the endpoints. Generally, the frequency of adverse events and serious adverse events were comparable with upadacitinib as monotherapy and combination therapy. The authors conclude that in the SELECT PSA uh, study, upadacitinib efficacy and safety was generally consistent as monotherapy or combination therapy. This analysis supports the use of upadacitinib with or without concomitant non-biological DMATs. Also from the SELECT PSA program, Mays and colleagues presented their data on the efficacy of upadacitinib in PSA patients stratified by number of prior biologic DMATs. And essentially, they showed that comprehensive disease control was generally consistently achieved with upadacitinib, regardless of the number of prior biologic DMATs tried. My final selection of the clinical data in PSA includes data from both the SELECT PSA 1 and 2 clinical trials. Meroline colleagues undertook a post hoc analysis to assess the efficacy of upadacitinib in patients with psoriatic arthritis stratified by skin severity at baseline. Across two patient groups with uh, different skin severity levels, um, the results were generally consistent. When patients were required to achieve the skin component of minimal disease activity, results were numerically better in the lower skin severity group. So the authors conclude, based on this small sample, that upadacitinib was a viable treatment option for active uh, PSA, regardless of the extent of psoriasis at baseline. The late-breaking abstracts were presented today in a session chaired by Professor Marta Mosca and Professor Hendrik Schulz-Koops. There were two abstracts that I was particularly interested in, relating to the safety of COVID vaccines in autoimmune inflammatory rheumatic and musculoskeletal diseases. This year has certainly thrown us some challenges and it is encouraging to see the wealth of research developed by our clinical community, which has reacted with speed and clarity to protect our patients. My first pick is from Furor and colleagues, 
who investigated the immunogenicity, efficacy, and safety of the BMT162B2 mRNA vaccine in patients with autoimmune inflammatory rheumatic diseases compared to the general population. In this study, which included almost 700 uh, adult patients and 121 controls, the BNTB262 vaccine resulted in an adequate immunogenic response with an acceptable safety profile in the majority of patients with autoimmune inflammatory rheumatic diseases. The second late breaking uh, abstract that I would like to highlight is a European collaboration from Machado and colleagues who assessed COVID-19 safety in patients with rheumatic and musculoskeletal disease. Data from over 1,500 patients from the EULA COVID-19 vaccination registry, the COVAX registry, were included. And the results of the analysis were reassuring for both rheumatologists and vaccine recipients. COVID-19 diagnosis after vaccination was reported in 1% of the cases. Disease flares were interestingly reported by 5% of patients with inflammatory rheumatic diseases and the majority of side effects were typical early events within seven days. For example, uh, injection side pain, fatigue, and headache. The authors conclude that the safety profile for COVID-19 vaccines in RMD patients is reassuring, with most adverse events being the same as for the general population. My last selection from day four of the Congress is the EULA debate on remote patient care, an area of our practice that has been accelerated by the COVID-19 pandemic. Professor Hans Bischmann did a fantastic job of chairing a lively session and the faculty were really engaging. The pros and cons of remote rheumatology that were presented by the patients, physicians and health professionals were varied and eye-opening at times. This was a great discussion and one session I highly recommend you to try and watch if you missed it live. And that concludes the CSF daily highlights from the EULA 2021 Virtual Congress. It has yet again been a fantastic week of collaboration and sharing knowledge. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the organizers of the Congress and applaud all the faculty, authors and contributors to the scientific content. The quality this year has been astounding. I know I speak for myself and for Professor Veal when I say it has been a pleasure to share the highlights of the Congress with you. I hope you have enjoyed this podcast as much as we have. You can revisit all the daily highlight podcasts and the preview of the Congress from Professor Chris Edwards at cytokinesignaling.com or in your podcast stream. Keep an eye on the site as there will be a Congress review and webinar coming in the next few weeks. All that is left for me to say is thank you once again for joining Professor Veal and I each day and see you next year.